Welcome to the Wealth Builders Podcast. I'm Billy Epperhart, and on this show, you're going to hear from industry leaders in business, real estate, and investing. Our Wealth Builder coaches and myself are excited to teach you how to make sense of making money for making a difference. Okay, let's get started. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Wealth Builders Podcast. I'm Karen Conrad, and on behalf of Billy and Becky Epperhart, we are so grateful that you tuned in and so happy to have you as part of the Wealth Builders family. One of our really popular episodes that we do is Q&A from our previous workshops on different topics. So we recently had a real estate workshop, the, the best yet, uh, and I think we're going to continue to see these get even better. And we had a lot of people asking questions from our live stream and in person that we couldn't get to everything during the Q&A. So this is part two of the Q&A, and I'm so happy to have Frank Pulley and Bill Bronchek joining me today. Hi, guys. How's it going? Thank you so much for being a part of this. So we're going to jump right in and continue on some of the questions. And the first one that we are going to go over here is a question on some of the ratios that we were talking about, that Billy was talking about to look for to find that right rental property. So the question is, does the does the price not to exceed two to four times median income pertain to building a home as well? And then the same question with the rentals. Uh, Frank, can you start us out just talking a little bit about that two to four times median income and what Billy was talking about here? Well, ideally, that would be for uh, possibly a rental or investment home, because I think with your own home, if you find something that's in an area that's appreciating and, and you're going to be in it for a long, long time and you slightly overpay for it, but it's got everything you need, I think you're OK doing that. Whereas, uh, you know. For rental properties, it, it's really all about the numbers and making sure you stay within that uh, range two to four times, along with some other uh, facts and figures that we uh, use for analysis, will help keep you safe and make sure you're not overpaying for that particular area. Right. Great. Bill, anything to add to that? Yes. Um, I think they meant it's a prosperity price. I think they meant purchase price, um, not to exceed two to four times median income. So if median income in a city is 50000 a year, that's pretty low. That's below the national average. Um, you want to be buying prices of properties between one hundred and two hundred thousand for rentals. Uh, that's just a rule of thumb. And of course, you know, there are exceptions to that, of course. Um, in terms of building something new, if you're thinking about building something for a rental, that's not a good way to go um, because most new builds are very high-end homes. Yeah. Uh, very few builders are building 1,500, 2,000 square foot rental properties. Um, they're just not building those anymore. It's not profitable uh, to build something that small. Uh, so it wouldn't apply to building uh, to, to new builds. Uh, it would apply to the rental market. Yeah. And the word median also is uh, a lot of times misconstrued. It's not the average. It means if it's $50,000, half of the income is above that and half is below that. It's not an average. So make sure you get those straight too. Yeah, that's good. And also it's two to four times the median household income. Right. Yeah in an area. And I know that's really important too. Those are very different numbers at right. times. 
And I mean, I've just Googled that or just searched for that. Do you guys know, is there, is there a website in particular people can go to or just kind of do a general search? Oh, there's so many websites. Mm -hmm. uh, if you Google median income and uh, median household income and then the name of the city, you'll have 15 websites that will come up. They'll give you an aggregate information. Okay, yeah, great. It may vary a little bit, but they're, they're going to put you in a ballpark. That's great. One thing I, I noticed when I've been searching is that to put the year in 2023, otherwise you'll find like 2018 right. or 2019. Right. Right. Correct. That's correct. Make sure you're in the right year. Okay, great. Uh, Bill, I'm going to start with you on this one. With the interest rates so high as they are, what recommendation would you give to new first time home buyers? Well, certainly you want to buy something you can afford with today's interest rates. Um, I was just reading now that uh, some banks are now back doing going back to zero down loans. And of course, the less you put down, the more you borrow, the bigger your payment. Uh, not necessarily a bad thing, but you got to make sure you can afford the payment at today's interest rates. If you don't want to do that, then you can negotiate with a seller to do some seller financing. So for example, if the purchase price was Four hundred thousand. If you and you put uh, twenty percent down, which is eighty grand, and borrowed three twenty at today's rates, you may not be able to afford that. But what if you got a loan for two hundred at today's rates, and asked the seller to take a note and a second lien on the property for one hundred and twenty at let's say four percent, or three percent, or some, or no percent, uh, just because you gave them the price they were asking for, and that will get your overall payment down. Wow, that is a great suggestion. And just being a little creative on things and um, looking beyond the traditional. And I think in that case, too, it could be really attractive, Bill, because people, if they've got capital gains on it mm -hmm. or, you know, they don't have a place to deploy that money right now, that could be like really a good option for them. Sure. All right, Frank, anything to add to that one? Well, yeah, I mean. Um, with our Wealth Builder Coaching Program, um, we can help you, uh, you know, design a creative solution to purchasing a property uh, if it's there. And of course, we've always got Bill to, to rely on. And also on the uh, Bill site, there's a whole bunch of stuff on creative financing about everything you'd ever want to want to know. Videos, MP3s, state specific forms, etc. So a great reason to get into the Wealth Builder Coaching Program. That's great. You know, too, this the interest rates feel really high to people because we just came out of record low yeah. interest rates. But if we were to look historically, where we're at with interest rates today is more normal yes. than yeah. what we have seen. So I think that perspective is really helpful as well. Also, um, sometimes one of the things you could look at is getting into your property with an arm, which is an adjustable rate mortgage. Mm -hmm. And I remember when when I bought my first home, uh, actually, most of the homes that I purchased personally until we we're in these record low interest rates, I would do an arm because, first of all, I don't know how long I was going to be in the home. And so I could save a lot on interest rates. But also, if you go into an arm and you have at least a three-year, maybe a five-year, and you watch the movement in those caps that they only change once a year, maybe twice a year, you can watch the interest rates and the fixed rates, and you can pop out of that arm into a fixed-rate mortgage at the lowest interest rate. 
So I think that's something to take a look at too. I know we the the market right now is we've had an inverted yield curve for a period of time. I think it's more coming back to normal, but ask your lender about that. That could be a good option to get you into your property. All right, next question. This is, uh, I've got a name here. This is from Rena, who is on our live stream. And she is saying, could you go over the 1% rent formula, please? Could you uh, start that out for us, Frank? Sure. I mean, it just basically means that a, a property ideally should rent for 1% or more of the purchase price per month. A simplistic view is a $100,000 property should rent for at least $1,000 per month. There's some other uh, parameters we use too. Uh, like for example, in a situation where you're doing over 20% uh, down, uh, you should be able to net net. In other words, after everything is said and done, all expenses, $300 per, per house. And then uh, slightly different uh, uh, nets for multifamily properties. But it, it really works. It really keeps you safe. That's great. And Bill, we hear from people like, where do you find these? You know, everywhere they've looked, they haven't been able to find that 1%. Are, are you, is there markets out there that people can find well, sure. formulas? Sure, there are markets, but um, it, it, depending on your long-term goals, it may not be what you want. Um, so, for example, if you went into Detroit, uh, you could buy properties or yeah. uh, or some other markets like that. You know, in in the Midwest, you can buy properties for two hundred grand that'll rent for two thousand a month. The problem is, in ten years, it might only be worth two fifty. Um, so, if your goal is cash flow, that that's fine. But if your goal is growth in the long term and not so much cash flow now, uh, you might want to buy in an area where maybe it's a half a percent, but you can break even. Yeah. Um, but the property will go up. I mean, if people who invest in California routinely lose money uh, and then make it back up on appreciation because the, the wildly swinging prices on the coastal properties. So they might lose 50000 a year for five years. That's a $250,000 loss, but then sell it for a million profit. Uh, it works okay. Wow, that's a good point. We also talk about, Billy was mentioning that sometimes a strategy changes on that too based on your tax liability. Yeah. So if someone has got a huge amount of taxes that they're paying to the government, maybe on their business or W-2 income, um, if they're able to get into real estate and get that designation in that point, because they've got a high, high tax bracket, which is a whole nother story, but taking a loss on that cash flow for that appreciation can actually help them in the short term on their taxes and in the long term. So lots of things, lots of ways to look at things here. Yeah. All right, Bill, I'm going to start with you on this one. We get a lot of questions and this one came in from Rhonda on tiny homes. So her question is, is buying rule to build a tiny house village a good investment? That's a tough one. Um, I'd say it depends on the demand for them and the area that you're buying them. Uh, if you're going to use it as as regular uh, year-round rentals, that's probably the type of people who would live in a tiny home are probably close to homeless people. Um, <laughs> not many people want to live year-round in a tiny home. Um, but for vacation, that's different. If you're going to rent it by the week or by the weekend, um, then it could be lucrative if it's in the right area. Yeah. If you're going to build a village, though, I mean, you got to make sure people are going to stay there. 
Uh, you may have some development costs of electricity, you may have to have plumbing, and there's other areas that will require you to uh, pull the wheels off and make it stationary unless you at some point in time want to move it. So as Bill says, it's the lawyer's answer, right? It depends. Mm-hmm. Just I depends on the circumstances. It's almost what they're describing is almost like a, a cutesy mobile home park. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, and financing on that too, I think is a big key. Yeah. Do you really yeah. think through how you're going to finance something? Yeah, like I don't know. Do too many banks financing yeah. Uh, yeah. the building of tiny homes? Although there's a, believe it or not, there's a tiny home convention that a, that a friend of mine runs every year in Colorado. That's coming up in, I think, in July uh, up in Loveland, Colorado, where they get like 10,000 people from all around the country. And wow. that's all they talk about is tiny homes. Yeah. Well, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. We've actually got some coaching clients, too, that are looking yes. into that. And I think if it's done right, you know, all the information, yeah. there's some real potential there. I always get concerned just, you know, being around for a while of waves of things that are kind of popular, right. you right. know, just to make sure it's got that viability for long term. Yeah. All right, we're going to switch gears a bit here. And uh, Bill, I'm going to start with you on this. There's a lot of questions. This is coming from June uh, about gold, comparing that to real estate investing. And then there's a lot of discussion out there about the impending devaluation of the U.S. dollar. Can you share some information on that with us? Sure. Uh, Generally speaking, people convert to gold when interest rates are high, when when the government's overspending and the and the value of the dollar is, is depleting, which it is right now, China's been buying up gold like crazy right lately. Um, so, and our government's been spending like crazy lately. <laughs> now, the thing about gold, it's more of a protection strategy. Uh, it's not like a house flip, you know, you're, you're going to speculate, okay, if I buy gold at, you know, X dollars an ounce, um, and if it goes up, I'll sell it, make a profit. It's not, that's not really the purpose of that. The purpose is, is when the value of the dollar is going down and you can't earn an interest rate high enough to beat inflation, then gold is a good place to park your money for a while. It's, it's a good way to diversify your portfolio as well. Um, but it's not going to produce income like a, like a, a rental house would. Um, and you don't get the tax write-off of, of a rental property either. Um, so it, it might it be a good idea to, to convert some of your uh, portfolio into gold when when we have a situation like we have now? It may, may not be a bad idea. Wow. How about you, Frank? You know, I think Bill's spot on, man. This is his wheelhouse. So mm-hmm. he, know, he knows a lot more about this than I do. Yeah, and I think, too, um, we're hearing that people are investing in hard assets. And so um, that's like you'll hear Warren Buffett is doing that. People are buying farmland. And so gold, real estate, farmland, those are all considered hard assets. And so is there like if you were to compare going into gold versus real estate. Is there one direction or another you would go, Bill, if it if you couldn't do both? Um, I think it really depends on the person's uh, goals and what they're trying to do. If you're older and you would just want to protect what you have, you know, gold is a good thing. But if you're trying to grow your portfolio, obviously, uh, real estate uh, has many advantages on that side. And you forgot one other thing, too, is guns. 
<laughs> once they <Right. laughs> when, when <laughs> bad, you know, food, gold, <laughs> land, guns. And guns. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. There just it is interesting on guns is the percentage of people, like the increase of people owning yeah. guns. So so it's kind of funny to say guns, but actually you've got some seriousness in there, I don't you, Bill? All right. Very good. Let's uh, switch back here a moment to real estate again. And this is from Dennis. And the question is, you know, is it okay? Or what are the pros and cons of being a real estate agent as a real estate investor, Bill? Well, the advantage is that you belong to the, well, I'd say good old boys club at most agencies days are women, uh, but you, you, you get the idea, the insiders club. Um, you'll get more, much more cooperation from a real estate agent when you're a real estate agent. And plus you have access to that exclusive multiple listing service that is not accessible by the general public. Um, you can also gain a commission on a purchase. So if you're purchasing a property that is listed on the multiple listing, and you can represent your company as its agent and 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 get part of the commission back from the listing agent. Now, um, I wouldn't get a real estate license because you think, well, I don't have a good knowledge of real estate investing, so that'll give me more knowledge. It won't. Um, they do not teach you in real estate school how to invest. They teach you how to pass an exam. Yeah. Uh, and most real estate agents don't know how to invest in real estate. They know how to sell a house or fill out a contract. So, you know, the, the bad side is, is regulation. Um, when you're a real estate agent, you're presumed an expert and you go to court on a bad deal and the, and, you know, the, the deck is stacked against you. Uh, the other thing is, is liability. Um, being an agent in a transaction always, you know, is a potential blow up. Uh, you have to maintain continuing education requirements, licensing fees, uh, malpractice insurance, and, you know, and other related fees of, of, of and and time being a real estate agent. Yeah. And some people just don't like real estate agents for some weird reason. So if you're trying to do business with them, they think you're trying to, to trick them, which is uh, far from the truth. So, you know, um, just make sure that you're aware, aware of that. The other thing, too, is in most states, Bill, I believe that if you are a real estate agent, you have to use the state real estate forms which can be a little imposing if you're trying to just buy a property between you and a and a, and a seller, and you present them with a 16-page made of Greek uh, contract versus a little simple two pages says I'm going to buy and and I'm going to pay you this much, right? Right, that's true. That's good, and I I think that there is benefit to it, but I really appreciate you guys talking about the risks as well. And um, I know like we've got, uh, our son is a real estate agent and it's really helping us as we're getting going in a market. And it's, it's very helpful to be able to research things quickly. And Frank, your wife, Becky was a real estate agent, if I recall for yes, many years, she retired, right? but she was for 10 years and yeah. Oh yeah. I've been through all the, all the stuff with real estate agents. Yeah. On a, yes. on a personal level. Yeah. So it is nice to, it's an additional revenue stream and gets you a lot of information, but I really appreciate talking about the coverages as well in the positions that it can put you in. All right. We have time for one more question here. And this is from Jerry B. We get a lot of questions on this topic as well. 
uh, Jerry B, they've got money in an IRA and they want to cash out to purchase a property. How can we make a transfer into our LLC with the lowest tax penalty possible? Now, this is their first investment property, but maybe you could share a little bit about how to leverage your IRA for investing as right. well. Well, it, uh, without getting hyper-technical, um, the, the devil's in the details here, so to speak. Um, yes, you can buy real estate with your IRA money, um, but you have to jump through a few hoops to do it. Uh, the main point I want to make about this is when you invest in your with your IRA, you don't borrow the money out of the IRA, put it in your personal account and buy a property. Uh, that's a withdrawal. That's taxable. The IRA itself makes the investment. So the custodial uh, account is buying the property instead of buying stock. Um, you can't click to trade with real estate like a reality, uh, but you fill out some forms and you direct them to wire money to, let's say, a title uh, or escrow company for a closing, and then title to the properties taken in the name of your IRA account, and then your tenants write checks to the IRA account, which are deposited in, with your custodial uh, operation into your account. Um, you can't spend that money as it goes. You can't touch it because that's a withdrawal that is taxable if you do until you reach retirement age of 59 and a half. Great. And Frank, can you comment to, is there limitations when somebody uses their IRA, they move it into that self-directed IRA? Is there any limitations on financing in that situation? Well, yeah, it's got to be, uh, Bill could fill in more of the details, but it's got to be what's called a non-recourse loan so that um, you can't get a credit card because that's, again, secured. If you get a loan that's secured, um, it the recourse can only be against the the property, not against the IRA itself. Is that right, Bill? That's correct, and and it can't be it can't have a personal guarantee by the individual yes. IRA owner as well. So if you there are banks that do this, by the way, there yes, are, it's it's higher rates and lower loan to value. So you're probably looking at sixty to sixty five percent loan to value. Which means on a hundred thousand dollar property, your IRA would have to put up um, thirty five to forty percent of the purchase price, uh, which is okay. It's better than buying all cash um, if you can leverage a little bit. Um, but just understand that you can't go and get a regular, you know, bank loan where you sign personally and there's recourse against you personally or the IRA individually uh, if the loan is in default. They can only go after the property in foreclosure. Yeah, you that's know? really good to know. And if you have an IRA through your work or whatever, you're probably stuck using that to a certain degree. And one thing I just ran across, I helped my sister self-direct her IRA. You're going to get some resistance from the, uh, you know, the stock people or whoever you've got your IRA. They're going to tell you that you're not making a good decision. They're going to drag their feet to get you the money and uh, get a good IRA custodian to help you with the process. Right. And then just making sure that you persevere uh, is, is going to be, uh, is going to be really important. Sure. Yeah, that's good. And we've got a lot of coaching clients that we've helped walk through that process. And I believe that we have directed them to Mr. Bill Bronchek for some assistance. Yeah, that. not a lot of that. I've been investing in my IRA for 20 years. Yeah, that's that's a thing. You know, the, the Wealth Builders team, as you can tell, just listening to this with these guys and Billy and Becky for any amount of time are very seasoned. We really have the best of the best. And so I just want to encourage you listen, uh, listening if this is resonating with you. We're really seeing that that God is putting real estate on the hearts of, of a lot of people. 
that really to take a look at our Wealth Builders Real Estate Coaching Program is an option, a very good option for you. It is an investment, but what we're hearing from our coaching team is it was amazing listening to the testimonies as the best decision they ever made. That was so sweet and um, just really emotional about the decision because they've been able to get into real estate with the guidance of people. And we really care. We're, we're not here uh just to have a coaching program. There's plenty that all of us could do, but we really care about your success. And um, so if you're interested, we provide a free 30-minute consultation. You can email us at info at wealthbuilders.org and just put in the subject line, request for a consultation. We do both real estate and business. And so we we love it. We love to help you uh, on this journey. And it's very gratifying to see people see their dreams become reality. So I just want to thank you, Bill and Frank, for being not only on this podcast, but just for being such amazing coaches for Mm -hmm. us and being a part of Wealth Builders. We really appreciate you both. Thank you for the words. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us today. We are so grateful to have you part of the Wealth Builders family. If you want to learn more about Billy and Becky Epperhart in Wealth Builders, go to wealthbuilders.org. I also want to remind you, we've got the business and nonprofit workshop that is coming up August 18th through the 20th. You don't want to miss it. It's an amazing weekend and we have limited seating. So if you are interested, get registered now, go to wealthbuilders.org org forward slash events. So thank you so much again for joining us today. God bless you and make it a great rest of the day. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Builders Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review the show. If you want to learn more about who we are, visit our website at wealthbuilders.org and check us out on Facebook. We'll see you next time.